Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today we're going to be doing loving-kindness meditation together. This is our group learning program that we meet on Sunday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Thai time, where on Sunday we spend time talking about a chapter in this book, Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Nibbana. And this week we're on Chapter 5, which is The Eightfold Path. And then on Wednesdays, we either do breathing mindfulness meditation, loving kindness meditation, or Buddhist chanting. And we rotate those each Wednesday to build up your practice of training the mind in the Buddhist teachings. So part of these practice is to learn the teachings, observe that they're truth, and then apply them in daily life. So the Eightfold Path that we're talking about this week and that we're studying as part of our Facebook group, our YouTube channel, our podcast, and everything else that we're doing throughout the world and sharing these teachings. There are students all over the world that are studying this book in this chapter and then using the Facebook group, using YouTube, using the podcast, using personal guidance to actually reach out to me, schedule private appointments where people are learning and growing and developing their understanding and wisdom about these teachings and applying them in daily life and seeing progress as they progress on this path to enlightenment. So today we're going to be doing loving kindness meditation and we're going to be talking about what that is and why it's important for us to be doing it and then we're actually going to do it and I'm going to teach you how to do it. But because we're in this chapter five, the Eightfold Path, and it's so important for your practice, what I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of review that just a little bit here today, because on Sunday I went into it in depth with all the people who have attended either live or listened to this on our podcast or on the playback through Facebook or YouTube. There's been hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people that have been studying this since our live broadcast. And some of those people will only be able maybe to join on a Wednesday and they may have questions. So I would like to kind of go through this in just a very short period of time and kind of review it and give a chance for people to ask questions. And if you were in attendance or you did participate even by listening to the podcast or on the playback from the Sunday talk, this little bit of review three days, four days later can actually be really helpful 
to allow it to kind of soak in and just kind of hear it again and kind of go through it again. It's kind of like watching a movie a second or a third, fourth time, even fifth time. You kind of hear things a little bit differently. They kind of connect a little bit differently. You pick up on some of the details that you didn't pick up on before. So that's what we're going to be doing today is we're going to spend a little bit of time reviewing the Eightfold Path and making sure that you get a chance to kind of hear that again, kind of in a shortened version, ask any questions that you might have, and then move into loving kindness meditation. For anybody who's watching this live in all the places that we're broadcasting to, including our virtual classroom and Zoom, you guys can ask questions as we go through today's talk. So I would like to thank you for joining. I would like to Thank you for choosing to learn and practice the teachings of the Buddha. And I would like to just really dive into this Eightfold Path because this is the path to enlightenment. You really can't understand the Eightfold Path enough. There's no such thing as learning too much about the Eightfold Path because this is the life practice that the more you learn it and understand it, the more you can implement it in your daily life and then see the results for yourself. So I'm going to share the Eightfold Path with you once again, working from right view all the way to right concentration in a more consolidated version, okay? Right view is the Four Noble Truths. In the Four Noble Truths, we understand that all unenlightened beings are going to have discontentedness of mind. Discontentedness is painful feelings, pleasant feelings, feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant. So unenlightened beings are going to experience sadness, anger, frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, fear, happiness, excitement, elation, boredom, loneliness, shyness, melancholy, uncomfortable, unpleasant, unsatisfactory. That's what discontentedness is, these three feelings. So if you're experiencing those, which a lot of people in the world do, then you know that you're unenlightened. So all unenlightened beings will experience discontentedness of mind. The second noble truth is that we cause our own discontentedness because the mind has craving for things to be permanent when everything is impermanent. So the mind has this mental longing with a strong eagerness. It wants things to be a certain way. The mind has certain expectations, this craving, desire, attachment, this clinging, this grasping for things, this holding on to things. The mind holds on and it wants things to be a certain way. And when things aren't that way, that's when the mind becomes discontent. So if we come home from work and we expect that our spouse or our kids have done certain thing or clean up the house or we expect that dinner is going to be ready or we expect that we're going to be able to watch TV and we can't, then maybe your mind becomes angry or frustrated. Or if you expect people to listen to you when you're talking and they're not listening, then you may get frustrated because they didn't listen to you, right? The mind wants something. It has this mental longing with a strong eagerness, and it thinks that all these external things should be your way. 
And when they're not your way, then the mind becomes discontent. So the second noble truth is the mind causes itself to be discontent because it has craving, has this mental longing with a strong eagerness, and it craves for things to be permanent when pretty much everything in the world is impermanent. So the mind's holding on, wanting things to be permanent while everything's constantly changing. This is why the mind becomes very sad when someone close to us dies because the mind holds on and it wants this person to be permanent in our life. And then when they die or they leave us, then the mind becomes sad or lonely or bored. So we actually cause that sadness ourselves, or that anger, that frustration, because we allowed the mind to have this mental longing with a strong eagerness. So what the second noble truth is essentially doing is saying, take responsibility for your own discontent mind. All those feelings and emotions that you have in the mind are being caused by the mind. They're being caused by you, being caused by the conditions in the mind. And by accepting responsibility for the mind in this second noble truth, then the third noble truth is that you can eliminate the discontent mind. You can eliminate these discontent feelings by eliminating this craving, this mental longing with a strong eagerness. You can train the mind to eliminate that where you still pursue things as a goal, as an interest, as an objective, you still have things that you need to handle in life, but you don't have that strong desire, those expectations, that wanting everything to be your way, right? You understand through the wisdom of these teachings that things aren't going to be your way all the time. And through meditation, specifically breathing mindfulness meditation, you can actually train the mind to eliminate this mental longing with a strong eagerness for everything to be your way. And that's the beauty about taking responsibility for your own thoughts and feelings and emotions is that you can actively train the mind to eliminate those discontent feelings where you can get to the point where you've eliminated sadness, anger, frustration, the whole entire discontentedness that I've talked about, the painful feelings, the pleasant feelings, and the feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant. You will still have joy, but you will eliminate this up and down and up and down and up and down, this constant bombardment of discontent feelings. And the way that you do that is through the fourth noble truth. The fourth noble truth is the way to eliminate 100% of all discontentedness in the mind is to practice the Eightfold Path. The Eightfold Path is the path to eliminate all the discontentedness in the mind. So in the Four Noble Truths, the Buddha explains the problem, the cause of the problem, the elimination of the problem, and the complete solution of what is the solution to the problem. So having right view, this first step of the Eightfold Path, is to understand that you cause all your discontent feelings and therefore you can eliminate them. That you accept all the responsibility for all the feelings that you have in the mind that get produced and not blame others for the feelings and emotions that you have in the mind. 
this will revolutionize the way that you look at everything from this point forward. And that's why we call it right view, because you have to view things as it's you that is causing these feelings and emotions. Whereas if your view is that other people are causing these discontent feelings, it's other people who are causing you to be angry or frustrated, then you have wrong view because it's not those other people or those other things that are causing it. It's actually causing itself. The mind is actually causing itself to be discontent. So establishing right view is paramount for the Eightfold Path and this path to enlightenment, right? So that's why I wanted to spend a little bit more time here. Going through the rest of these a little bit more quickly, right intention or right thinking or right thought, what right intention is, is to practice harmlessness, non-ill will, okay? Non-ill will or harmlessness is to not be interested to see harm for others and even yourself, cultivating loving kindness. Loving kindness is the antidote to harmfulness, right? If you want to harm people or you have hatred or you have anger or you have ill will, the antidote to that is loving kindness. Loving kindness is active goodwill towards other beings without judgment. So that's the reason why we practice loving kindness meditation is to cultivate this mind where we have active goodwill towards other beings with no interest to cause harm to other beings or to ourself. And we practice that in meditation and cultivate that in the mind, and then we practice it in daily life where we're not interested in causing harm to others. So right intention or right thinking or right thought is the intention to not harm, to have non-ill will. And the reason why that's important is because if you harm others, harm is going to come to you. This is the natural law of gamma, cause and effect or action and result, essentially the result of our decisions. If we make decisions that harm others, then that harm is going to come back to us. So we need to make sure that any decisions that we make are not causing harm to others as well as not causing harm to ourselves. So that's why this second step is also so very important because if we go around with ill will or hatred or anger or being vindictive or even just wanting to be a little bit sarcastic, right? Just that little bit of sarcasm that can be harmful to others, which means it's going to harm you as well. So having the right intention of harmlessness and non-ill will really helps to give you the wisdom that you need to then move forward in the rest of this path. This whole path, we learn it and practice it all together, but you really need to kind of build it up as well. But you are learning and implementing it all at one time. So once you understand these two and you start practicing this, taking responsibility for your own mind with right view and practicing harmlessness, as you're doing that more and more and more, you can also cultivate right speech. Right speech is to practice the five factors of well-spoken speech. The five factors of well-spoken speech will ensure that you're not causing harm to other beings. Because if you cause harm through your speech, that harm is going to come back to you. 
And conversely, if you speak very politely, very kindly, very friendly, very respectfully, then that is what will come back to you as well. So the Buddha's guidance here is to help you understand how you can structure your speech in a way that will not cause harm to others. And the way that he shares in the five factors of well-spoken speech is that we should speak at the right time. What we say is true. We speak gently. We speak beneficially. We speak with a mind of loving kindness. Loving kindness, active goodwill towards other beings. And then he goes on to say that we should speak blamelessly, that we shouldn't blame others through our speech. So you can see if you look at past conversations that have gone really well for you, you will see that you and the other person were practicing these five factors. And if you look at past conversations that went unwell, that were problematic, you will see that you or the other person were missing one or more of these five factors. So the more that you train your speech to come up to these five factors in all situations, you will see that your personal and professional relationships will continue to blossom. Now, you can't just snap a finger and immediately practice these five factors. Even if you study them, even if you agree with them, even if you see like, wow, this would really be great if I could practice right speech in this way, it's gonna take you time to build up to the point where you can practice this, where you can practice all five factors all the time. So where you make mistakes, it's okay. Just observe that you made a mistake and you would aspire to do that better and then move on and look to do better in the future. This is one of the reasons why we practice breathing mindfulness meditation and develop this singleness of mind where you're only focused on one thing at a time rather than trying to multitask and do so many things at one time. Because if you have singleness of mind and you're only thinking about one thing at a time, you can engage in a conversation very well and you can stay very aware of these five factors and you're gonna be more likely to bring your practice up closer and closer to these five factors because your mind's not wandering into the future or in the past or jumping all over the place with all these ideas and thoughts and feelings. So by training the mind more and more and more with breathing mindfulness meditation and loving kindness meditation, you will be able to practice these five factors in all situations, which as you heard there, loving kindness is important for these five factors of well-spoken speech. Then we've got right action. Right action is to not cause harm through our bodily actions because not only can we cause harm through our speech but we can cause harm through our bodily actions and the buddhist shares teachings here which are predominantly from the five precepts which we're going to be studying in about a week and a half we're going to be going into these in a lot of detail but just generally what he talks about is not killing other beings essentially cultivating compassion for all beings whether they're human or animal is not harming and killing other beings that we don't steal because if we steal it's going to cause harm to others that we don't have sexual misconduct and again we're going to go into all the details of these because there's a lot more detail than what i'm sharing right here 
He also talks about not taking substances that cause heedlessness. Heedlessness is unalertness, unmindfulness, unawareness. Because if we're purifying the mind on this path, we don't want to pollute it with substances. And then I also talk about gambling here because the Buddha includes that in other parts of his teachings that here with right action, if we gamble, this is an action that's going to cause harm because our mind is craving for more and more and more money. And oftentimes people get addicted to this and we use the money that should be for our living needs and our necessities and our families. And then we find ourselves in a lot of trouble if we actually gamble. So training through bodily actions not to actually gamble. And then here with right intention, right speech, and right action, what's really important is all of these are in sync. Sometimes you may find yourself having the best of intentions. You have no interest to harm somebody whatsoever, that you genuinely have an interest to help others, but your speech and your actions don't come across that way because they're not in sync and you're not practicing these five factors of well-spoken speech as well as right action. So people misunderstand what our true intentions are is because our speech and our actions aren't in sync with our intentions. So it's really important that we have our intentions, our speech, and our actions all in sync. And then when we choose a livelihood, that we practice right livelihood. Livelihood is how we sustain our life. Our livelihoods will actually produce wholesome things in the world, or we can actually harm through our livelihood and the way we choose to sustain our life. The Buddha gave five occupations or trades or businesses that he said, if we did these things, they're actually going to cause harm in the world. So therefore, harm is going to come to us. He says, if we sell weapons, if we sell living beings, if we sell meat, if we sell substances that cause heedlessness, or if we sell poisons, because all of these things are going to cause harm. Selling weapons are meant to hurt and harm people. Selling living beings like slaves, human trafficking, having animals and selling living animals because this is kind of causing suffering for those animals. If we sell meat, that means we have to kill or someone else has to kill in order for us to sell this meat. So therefore, it's going to cause harm in the world. If we sell substances that cause heedlessness, that means we're attaching our livelihood to this substance that's going to cause harm to others and cause unalertness, unmindfulness, unawareness. So therefore, it's going to cause harm to us. And if we sell poison, that's going to cause harm because poison is meant to kill others. The really interesting thing about these livelihoods is the Buddha explained these are the livelihoods that are going to cause harm but he didn't necessarily say what that harm is. 2,500 years later, we can look at these livelihoods and we can see that all the weapons that have been sold and bought in the world have caused enormous damage throughout the world of people dying all throughout the world, right? Wars and mass shootings and all of these things. We can see the human trafficking and the living beings and the slavery and things like this that have caused harm in the world. We can see that 
all the meat that has been produced and sold over the years it's causing a lot of harm to our environment and there's all kinds of scientific studies that show human beings eating meat it causes illness in the body more so than someone who's not eating meat we can see that selling substances that cause heedlessness has just devastated cities all throughout the world people are addicted to substances and really unengaged in the world and just very very sick and ill because of these substances and it's just devastated large communities of people all throughout the world and we know that poisons kill people and harms people puts people in hospitals so these livelihoods we can see by looking like yeah this wisdom that the buddha shared 2500 years ago we can see that it's really is harming the world and by all of us choosing not to practice those livelihoods and having good wholesome livelihoods to sustain our life then we're actually benefiting the world this is the moral conduct our speech our actions and livelihood is moral conduct and by practicing in that way we're ensuring that we're not causing any harm through our conduct then we go into right effort which has four different aspects to it one is not allowing unwholesome qualities to come into the mind so preventing unwholesome qualities from coming into the mind the second one is any unwholesome qualities that are in the mind abandon those eliminate them from the mind and that's part of what we're doing today through loving kindness meditation and then any wholesome qualities that have not come into the mind cultivate those and bring those into the mind and that's one of the things we're doing today with loving kindness meditation we're bringing in loving kindness into the mind and cultivating that and then the fourth aspect to right effort is any wholesome qualities that are in the mind support those encourage those and don't allow them to fade so these are the four aspects of right effort one of the simple ways to think of right effort is kick out all the bad stuff and bring in all the good stuff another way to think of right effort is when you feel that frustration or anger or irritation or annoyance starting to raise up in the mind if you apply effort at that moment to cut it off don't allow it to come into your speech and your actions because once it comes into your speech and your actions now you're going to start harming other people but if you can cut it off and just eliminate it right there and then because if you practice breathing mindfulness meditation enough over weeks and months you will get better and better at cutting off the thoughts so that when these unwholesome thoughts arise not just anger frustration irritation but even boredom or loneliness or shyness arises then you can take the right effort to cut that off abandon that and then arise wholesome qualities then you can catch it and you can move the mind forward and progress on this path through training the mind to abandon unwholesome qualities and arise wholesome qualities then the seventh step is right mindfulness mindfulness is awareness of mind really simple really basic one of the beauties of Gautama Buddha's teachings is that they're very simple 
They're very clear. They're very concise. They're very direct. They're not meant to be very complex. If you're reading books, you know, yay thick about the Buddhist teachings, it takes a lot to distill that down into what do I do today to improve my life and improve the condition of the mind. So what I've done through this book, Developing a Life Practice, and I do through the classes and all the other teachings is just really distill it down to something really simple. What is right mindfulness? Right mindfulness is having awareness of mind. And by having awareness of mind, now we can implement all these other teachings much more readily. Because if I'm not aware of the mind and I just get angry and frustrated and I just say whatever comes to mind and I just let the tongue roll and I got all these bodily actions that are harming people and I'm not really putting thought into my livelihood and just however I can make money, I'm just going to make money. This is haphazardly walking through life and allowing yourself to really get into a lot of trouble. But if you have awareness of mind and you're aware of those unwholesome thoughts, ideas, and feelings that are coming up, then you can do something about it. You can apply right effort. You can do other things to eliminate these unwholesome qualities. If you have right mindfulness or awareness of mind, and those wholesome qualities start to kind of come through a little bit, now you can support those. You can encourage those. You can allow them not to fade. You can use your awareness of mind to be present in conversations. And then you can have better relationships, both personally and professionally. So right mindfulness is all about awareness of mind, just being utterly aware of the mind. And you may kind of overshoot this at first. When you first start practicing right mindfulness, you might move into overthinking, right? If you've been completely unaware of the mind, and you've been on one side of the spectrum and now you hear you need to be aware of the mind and all the thoughts and feelings, you might actually overshoot this and actually go to overthinking, which is okay. You know, you need to kind of learn to do that, but then you need to bring it to the middle where you can just be present and aware of the mind and what's in the mind at all times, developing this singleness of mind. And that leads us into the last step, which is right concentration. Right concentration is to practice meditation. Breathing mindfulness meditation and loving kindness meditations are the only two meditations that everybody needs in order to attain enlightenment. There's two other meditations that are used on a kind of ad hoc basis or individual basis. As people have certain challenges, there's two other meditations that your teacher may share with you to address certain things but those are only for certain people that have those certain issues that need to address those two things by and large the vast majority of the world is only going to need these two meditations breathing mindfulness meditation and loving kindness meditation the beauty in this is that you don't need to run out and learn 20 50 100 different meditations that you're just scratching the surface with you learn these two and you get really, really deep into understanding how to execute these, then you're going to get lots and lots of benefit and results because you're not busy trying to figure out all these other meditation styles. You only really need these two. So 
Today, we're going to be studying loving kindness meditation, but of course, I rotate that where I teach you breathing mindfulness meditation as well as loving kindness meditation as part of this program because that's the only two that you're actually going to need. By training the mind in meditation, having an active, independent, purposeful, dedicated training session of the mind where you're eliminating certain qualities or you're cultivating certain qualities in the mind. Now, by doing that in meditation consistently, day by day by day, now those qualities that you're eliminating and those qualities that you're cultivating in daily life, you can now function and practice those qualities that you're cultivating. So in breathing mindfulness meditation, we're eliminating craving, desire, attachment. We're cultivating mindfulness, awareness of mind. In loving kindness meditation, we're eliminating hatred, anger, ill will, and we're cultivating loving kindness, active goodwill for all beings without judgment. So if we eliminate this craving, desire, attachment, we're eliminating this hatred, this anger, this ill will. We're cultivating mindfulness, awareness of mind. We're cultivating active goodwill for all beings without judgment. Now that's what we want to practice in daily life because this other stuff is causing us problems. This craving, desire, attachment, that's causing the mind to be discontent. This hatred, this anger, this ill will, this is causing us to block people out of our life. This is causing us to push people away. This is causing us to not be able to relate to others and peacefully coexist with other people. So it's causing us problems. So by practicing breathing mindfulness meditation and loving kindness meditation, we're training the mind in the direction of having this awareness of mind and this active goodwill for all beings without judgment. Because now we can let go of that anger, that hostility, that aggression, that resentment that we sometimes hold on to because of things that have harmed us in the past. We oftentimes hold on to this resentment and it affects us in our new relationships and it inhibits us from having really bright and vibrant relationships. So that's what we're going to be doing today is right concentration. We're going to actually be doing meditation. And when we do, we're actually practicing this entire eightfold path at the time that we're meditating. And at the time that you're meditating at home, you're actually practicing this entire eightfold path for whatever amount of time that you're practicing meditation. That's one of the reasons why meditation is so beneficial. Because while you're actually meditating, you have right view, right? Because by you choosing to meditate, you're realizing you're the problem. You're the issue, right? You're the one that needs to fix the mind. You're not out trying to convince everyone else to sit down and meditate because you're perfect. You, at the time of meditation, you've chosen, okay, I've got some challenges here in the mind that I want to take care of. I need to fix those and I need to work on myself. That's right view that you are the challenge. Your mind is the challenge. You need to fix that, right? That's right view. 
At the time of meditation, you're practicing right intention, non-ill will, harmlessness. While you're meditating, you're not speaking. So in a certain kind of way, you're practicing right speech. You're also practicing right action because you're not harming anyone through your bodily actions at the time that you're meditating. And of course, you probably have right livelihood, or at least maybe you're working in that direction. You're practicing right effort at the time of meditation because you're trying to eliminate certain qualities from the mind and you're applying effort to cultivate certain qualities in the mind. That's right effort. You're also developing right mindfulness and awareness of mind. And right concentration is meditation itself. And it's also a byproduct of practicing this entire Eightfold Path. This is the reason why once you're finished with meditation, you probably feel quite good. You probably feel like, wow, you know, I feel quite good. Or if you're just starting meditation, maybe not. Maybe you're not seeing the benefits quite yet. But if you've been meditating for any period of time, you probably feel really, really good at the end of your meditation. And the reason why is because you're practicing this entire Eightfold Path during the time of your meditation. But now the goal is to understand this Eightfold Path so well that you can practice it in daily life, right? So that you can practice this and apply it in all parts of your life so that you can then have that enlightened mind, that mind that is peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. That's the mind that you're moving towards and you're training it towards. But it's the Eightfold Path that's going to get you there. So if you're having these little glimpses in your meditation, even just for two seconds or five seconds or 10 seconds, where you see how the mind is just perfectly still and it's perfectly peaceful, it's perfectly calm, and you're like, oh, wow, that feels marvelous. That's almost like temporary enlightenment for those three seconds or those 10 seconds. That's like temporary enlightenment. But then, of course, the mind does what it does in the unenlightened state is it starts having craving and desire and ill will and anger and all of that goes away. It's like clouding the mind. So what we're doing through this training, not just meditation, but the entire Eightfold Path is we're clearing away all this darkness. We're clearing away all this cloudiness so that you can get to the natural mind, which is that peacefully still mind that's perfectly present that you may have actually experienced for just maybe one second or 10 seconds while you're in meditation. But the goal is now to expand that wider and wider and wider so that now you've got this permanent mind that is perfectly peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy, the enlightened mind, where you'll no longer experience discontentedness. You'll never experience anger, sadness, frustration, irritation, loneliness, boredom, guilt, shame, fear, any of those feelings of discontentedness will all be eradicated from the mind through learning and practicing this path, as well as other teachings that I have to share with you in this program. So let me just pause here before we move into actually doing loving kindness meditation and see if there's any questions that maybe came to your mind since our last talk 
or any new questions that came up even just by hearing me share this kind of summarized version of the Eightfold Path. We have a question from Sue Julian. She says, good morning. I have a question about right actions. On Sunday, you mentioned that humanity is already on a path to a plant-based diet in the future. I'm wondering though, isn't it possible for humanity to remain on this destructive path and not learn anything despite the troubles that are occurring in the world? Sure, anything's possible. What I was sharing on Sunday is that it appears to me that humanity has been gradually moving closer and closer to this path without even realizing it, right? Not only with plant-based food supplies, but look at how meditation has been exploding over the last 5, 10, 15 years. I know when I was growing up in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, I never knew what meditation was. I didn't know until 2000-something what meditation was. And now children are meditating in schools, right? People are starting to be aware of the ego. People are starting to be aware of calming their mind and being more present, being more aware. A lot of these teachings are kind of slowly making their way into the mainstream. They might not understand them to the level of depth that we're talking about in this program, but a lot of these teachings have been gradually moving into the world as we've evolved as a species. And that's what I see happening is that our species is evolving just like every other species in the world, whether it's a lizard or a snake or a fish, every species evolves. And now more than ever, we've got large populations of people that are looking to awaken the mind or become enlightened or move on this path in certain ways. And there's more and more people that are coming into it all the time. And it's beautiful because these teachings are based on truth and seeing the truth for yourself that the condition of the mind's improving, where a lot of things that we were all taught as children was all based on belief. And we didn't know whether that stuff was true or not. But here in these teachings, you can actually see the truth for yourself. But for me, I feel like the entire world is gradually moving. Humanity is gradually evolving, just like every other species in the world evolves. It seems to me that the human species is evolving to this higher consciousness that I call enlightenment or nibbana. As a follow-up, David, do you think we have to experience the results of our unwholesome decisions in order to make the intention to practice and improve our decisions? Or is there any other way we can find motivation to change our behavior that doesn't involve us going through some significant discontentedness first? I think you pretty much have to experience it before you know what it is to decide that I don't like this and I would like to move on. Speaking from my own experience, you know, yeah, I went really deep down into the darkness at many times in my life and came back up and then went back down and came back up and you know, finally this last time, it was just like, all right, I'm done with that. You know, it definitely was those situations of being down in the darkness and seeing all the problems, realizing that this isn't the life that I wanted to live that motivated me, encouraged me to come back out. So I can only speak on my own. And I think that we all need to see the truth for ourselves, right? You know, I think that humanity is done with all the belief which is good, right? We're kind of like done with all of that. 
people want to see the truth for themselves. And one of the things that we've learned through this mass amount of information that we now have available to us, that there's truth and there's misinformation. And people are getting really, really good at figuring out what is the truth for themselves. Now, sure, there's some people who just still believe whatever they're being told, but there's more and more population around the world that are really seeking the truth, not just the truth and teachings like this, but just everyday truth and not really accepting just what people say or what they want you to believe, but really looking for the truth. And I think that those experiences of experiencing discontentedness gives us the background and experience of seeing how bad things can really get as motivators to encourage us to do better. And that's certainly what it did for me. Thank you. Yes, one thing I see a lot at the moment is a lot of concern about actually what we're doing to the world, what we're doing as a society, and that we should maybe go out and try and change other people's behavior. And if we don't do that, then we're all going to suffer some irrevocable consequence that might wipe us out. You know, it could have the biggest possible consequence. What's your take on that? The important thing for people to focus on when you're getting on this path, especially when you first get started, you know, the first six months or a year or so, is really just focus on yourself. You know, it's very common that once you learn something new and you see how great it is, you want to run out and share it with everyone else. And that's great because that's generosity, that's loving kindness, that's compassion. But you're not really in a position to share it at that point because you haven't really learned it and you haven't, you don't really know it. And then also in our culture, we're also taught that if we focus on ourself, we're oftentimes taught that that's selfish. I know that's what I was taught growing up, that it was always about helping other people. But there's going to be a time and a place for that. There's going to be a time and a place for helping other people. If you put other people first and you neglect your own needs, then you're never really helping those people in the best way that you can because you haven't attained enlightenment yourself yet. So you're kind of out there trying to change everyone else and help everyone else, but your practice is still haphazard and causing harm in the world. By you spending the time to really dedicate learning and developing your own life practice and getting that really well-rooted and just really kind of drawing inward and focusing on your own mind, getting that really nailed down six months, a year, really getting the practice going and moving forward, seeing the benefits and the results. Now, if you started to kind of share it with people here and there, not in a way of craving or desire, but just if you were interested in sharing things here and there, I think it could be helpful to kind of share the teachings with other people in kind of a light way, just kind of an encouragement or support. But if you're not practicing it yourself and you're talking at the wrong time, what you say isn't true, you're not speaking gently, you're not speaking beneficially, you're not speaking with a mind of loving kindness, and you're out there trying to convince other people to practice the Buddhist teachings, they're going to be looking at you like, what do you mean? Like, you're so discontent. Like, how could you ever help me eliminate my discontentedness when you are still interrupting people all the time and you're still lying and you're still speaking with anger and harshness and all these other things. So by reprioritizing this in every individual choosing to focus on themselves, because you can't change anyone else, you have no ability to change other people. 
those people have to choose to change. So if you choose on your own to improve your practice, by you improving your practice, the people who choose to be around you, they will choose to improve their practice or not. And that will be beneficial for the world. But if you try to run out and change everyone else, you're not addressing the problem. The problem is your mind wants to change everyone else. You have an expectation, a craving, a longing, this mental longing with a strong eagerness to change everyone else, but you haven't changed your own mind yet. So you've really got to start with your own mind. And by doing that for six months, a year, you're never going to stop focusing on yourself. But if you wanted to start kind of reaching out to some others here and there lightly, sure, go for it. But always put your own practice first. This is one of the challenges I got into in America that when I was teaching there, I was really working hard to help everyone else and I was neglecting my own practice. And sure, everybody else around me were getting lots and lots and lots of help and it was attracting tons and tons and tons and tons of people, but it got to the point where I couldn't sustain it anymore and I had to just close the businesses and move to Thailand and just completely escape it all. And that was what ultimately gave me the time that I needed to focus on my own mind. And then by doing that over the course of you know many years of living in Thailand, now I can re-engage with the public and now I can help thousands and thousands and thousands of people. I'm helping more people in the last one and a half years that I've now been teaching again than I did the entire 10 years that I was teaching in, in America. When I was teaching in America for 10 years, Sure, I helped a few thousand people, but I was only helping them based on what I knew at that time. But now having spent the time focusing on my own practice, and then I finally got to the point where I was like, all right, well now I'm ready to help others. Now I was really able to help people. And in the last year and a half, I've interacted with tens of thousands of people just in the last year and a half, rather than in 10 years, just a few thousand. So by focusing on yourself, it's going to improve your life and improve your practice. And then ultimately, if your goal is to help other people, you'll be in a much better position to be able to do that after you've already helped yourself, because now you've got the experience and the wisdom to actually truly help people. I see, thank you, David. So now I see that Carl's hand is up. So let's go to you, Carl. How far out should you should you extend um, right livelihood? For example, obviously working in a slaughterhouse or owning a slaughterhouse would be you know not beneficial. But the example, for example, working in a drugstore where they have one shelf of insect poison or cosmetics that you know you know were formulated with animal experimentation, or even the simpler um, example of working in a grocery store where you had nothing to do with it, but they do sell meat. I, I mean, how far do you extend that out? That's where your personal choice comes in, right? One of the things that we talked about on Sunday is how the world is transitioning and it's gonna take many generations to transition to the point where more and more and more people are practicing these teachings. So you have to decide for yourself, where's that middle? Because someone who's maybe a cashier at a grocery store that's selling 
poisons, like you say, or selling some kind of something, that person to just quit that job and go do something else, it may not be realistic or possible for them at that particular time. So you decide how closely would you like to actually practice these teachings? And that's where you gradually come up to this ceiling that the Buddha is sharing in the Eightfold Path. And it's going to come down to your personal choices. How comfortable are you being that cashier and selling those things? If you're fine with that and you realize, you know, where you're at and your mind's okay with that, then sure, that's fine. Then you practice that how you like. That's one of the beauties of not having some centralized organization with one person at the top that's telling everybody what to do and what not to do. The Buddhist teachings are guidance. And as you're picking up on this, Carl, that, yeah, you know, you could really go into some real depth with this and choose to quit your cashier job at a grocery store because they do sell poisons. And if somebody decides to practice in that way, then that's their practice and that's what they choose. But there's no one at the top that's saying, yes, all you people that work at grocery stores, you need to quit your jobs now and we need to boycott those grocery stores. That's not how any of this works. So how closely you choose to practice right livelihood is totally up to you. And these are the teachings of the Buddha and you have to decide where's your middle and what feels right for you in terms of your practice. Okay, we have no more questions at this time. Okay, so let's move into loving-kindness meditation, which is our focus for today. The loving-kindness meditation is the second highest form of wholesome gamma that you could actually produce. The Buddha talks about gamma, and we're going to talk about it in about four weeks. This cause and effect or action and result, essentially the result of our decisions. And he talks about all these different things that you could do in the world, doing wholesome things. And he talks about breathing mindfulness meditation as being the highest form of good wholesome gamma or merit that you could produce and loving kindness being the second highest form. Because by you focusing on your mind and improving the condition of your mind, like we were just talking about, it helps all the people around you and it helps all of humanity. So here with loving kindness meditation, what we're doing is we're actively working to eliminate hatred, anger, and ill will from the mind and cultivate this active goodwill without judgment. This also relates to one of the fetters. If you remember back to chapter three, when we talked about the 10 fetters. There's a fetter there that we need to eliminate on our path to enlightenment called ill will, which is essentially hatred, anger, ill will, which lighter versions of that would be like frustration, irritation, annoyance, you know, these kind of things that kind of, we feel like people rub us the wrong way right? You might not have ill will for that person. You might not want to see something bad happen to them, but you just feel like, ah, oh, that person kind of rubs me the wrong way. I don't, I don't want to be around them anymore, right? This is ill will, but it's a lesser version of it. So what loving kindness meditation is going to do is it's going to help eradicate that. It's going to help to eliminate that from the mind. And it takes 
multiple times, multiple sessions of doing this. I did this for many, many, many years. And it took many years to eradicate the feelings of hatred and anger and ill will that were in my mind through all the different things that have happened to me in my life. There was a certain amount of hatred, anger, and ill will that I had for various people in the world based on things that happened to me in my life. And what you realize through these teachings is that by holding on to that resentment and these feelings, it doesn't actually help you. It doesn't help your life at all to resent your parents for things that you felt like they did wrong to you or that they're currently doing wrong. It doesn't help you to judge them in that way. It doesn't help you to hold on to that resentment. It's only hurting you, right? It doesn't help to have hate or anger for the person who cuts you off in traffic. It doesn't help you at all. So by eradicating all this from the mind, the mind can then be more peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. The way that this loving kindness meditation works is you first start with breathing mindfulness meditation, which is what I will guide you in to get us started. You always kind of start with breathing mindfulness meditation to kind of center the mind, bring it into the present moment. Don't allow it to go to the past or the future. Kind of eliminate some of the thoughts and feelings, kind of let them go and kind of start developing that singleness of mind and clearing away the clutter through breathing mindfulness meditation. And you can do that for five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, up to you. However long you would like to do that breathing mindfulness meditation. Then what you do is you move into loving kindness meditation. And what you do is you activate these affirmations in the mind. And you always start with yourself. You say, may I be peaceful. May I be safe. May I be well. And may I be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. Each one of these phrases you say in the mind on the out breath. So it's going to be a real slow pacing between these statements. You're not going to just rattle them off the way that I kind of just did. It's going to be a nice deep inhale and exhale. And then on the exhale, may I be peaceful. And you set that affirmation in the mind. And you let that one out. And then you take your inhale and then on your exhale, may I be safe, okay? You're gonna do this quietly in the mind. And if you saw me doing this in person, I would be completely quiet. You wouldn't know that I was actually doing this. But because I'm guiding the meditation and helping you to learn loving kindness meditation, I'm going to be speaking these statements out loud. And I'm just doing that to kind of cue you that you hear the statement and then you can repeat it in the mind. And you're always going to start with yourself because how can you have active goodwill for others if you don't have it for yourself? This active goodwill without judgment. So one of the things that this meditation does, and I observe that it did for me, is if you've got negative self-talk, if you lacking self-confidence, if you don't have that confident mind and you're always kind of talking to yourself in a disparaging way internally, this meditation can actually help to eradicate that by starting with yourself, that 
you always are starting, may I be peaceful, may I be safe, may I be well, may I be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes, right? This is an affirmation. This is active goodwill towards all beings without judgment. So starting with yourself, you then move through these progressive rings and you create whatever rings that you like. I share in the book these three rings of may I be peaceful, may we be peaceful, may all beings be peaceful. This is a really simple kind of short version, but you may want to put like five, six, eight, ten, twelve different rings in there to cover certain groups of people eventually getting to all beings. You may also have one particular person in your life that you're particularly having a lot of trouble with right now feeling hatred and anger towards. Maybe it's your dad or your mom or your brother, your partner, your children, your employees, your coworkers, your neighbors. You may want to start with you, go to that person, and then go to all beings. You may want to start with yourself, go to that person, go to that person again, that person again, that person again, that person again, and then all beings. And you may need to do that over multiple sessions until you cultivate active goodwill towards all beings. And if you do have hatred, anger, and ill will towards certain people, you might not feel it on the first session or the second session. You might just be going through the motions, but it's going to take many, many weeks. And in my case, it took many years to let go of some of this hatred and anger that I had for certain people. What's important to keep in mind here is that you're not sending out a prayer to other people. You're not asking for other people to be peaceful. You're not trying to convince them to be peaceful. You're not trying to change them through your meditation because that's impossible. You can't change other people through your meditation. What you're doing here is you're changing your mind. You're cultivating active goodwill towards all beings in your mind. So if you've got a neighbor, for example, that you and that person is having trouble and every time you're around them, you speak hostile and aggressive and they speak hostile and aggressive and it's just created a really bad relationship here between you and your neighbor. Well, by you now cultivating this active goodwill towards all beings over multiple, 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 multiple sessions and you letting go of this anger, this hostility, this aggression, this hatred, this resentment. Now, when you engage with that person or you observe that person, maybe you can give them a little smile. Maybe you can give them a little wave. Maybe you can have right speech when you're around them. And this will slowly, gradually improve your relationships, both personally and professionally. So this meditation isn't meant to change anybody else. There's nothing in the Buddhist teachings that are about changing other people. There are no prayers. There are no rites and rituals and worship. There is no such thing as chanting and changing other people through your chants or even changing your own mind through chants. That's just sounds. That's just voice. That's just a chant. There's nothing about this meditation that's going to change other people. It's all about training your mind 
to cultivate this active goodwill towards other beings so that then as you cultivate this regularly in meditation, now when you're around other beings, you're going to be more loving. You're going to be more kind. You're going to have this active goodwill without interest to harm others, and you're not going to have this judgment. And by you doing that over longer and longer periods of time, deeper and deeper and deeper, because of the natural law of gamma, what you put out is going to slowly come back to you over time. So you're not doing this to change others, but what you will notice is by changing your mind, you will attract other people around you that see your kindness and see your care and see your friendliness. And this is going to create better personal and professional relationships. And any relationships that you currently have that are somewhat problematic, by you practicing this meditation and all the other teachings, you will be able to slowly clean those relationships up because now you're practicing right intention, which is harmlessness. You're practicing right speech, where you're practicing those five factors of well-spoken speech and you're not blaming them for things. You're not judging them. You're trying to be helpful and caring and kind. So you'll see that these relationships will slowly, gradually clean up. So what we're going to do today is I am going to do the chanting that I normally do to ease us into meditation and ease us out. But if this is your first time joining us, understand that this chanting that I teach and this chanting that I do in the practice, it's not to create anything good in the world for other people. It's not a prayer. This chanting that I do, it's to start developing awareness of mind, awareness of breath, to ease the mind into meditation and get more benefit out of the meditation itself. So the chanting is actually part of the active training session that I'm doing with the mind. There isn't any special words that are going to change anything in the world. Me just chanting words isn't going to change the mind for me. I need chanting and I use chanting, but there's certainly people in the world who are enlightened who never chant. There's people who have attained enlightenment who don't chant. It's not part of their practice. So if you're not interested in chanting or you never have chanted, that's fine. You don't have to. But what you should do is the Buddha described that we should set up mindfulness in front of us. This is essentially easing the mind into meditation. So you're not just coming from outside and plopping into meditation, that you're actually doing something to kind of ease the mind into meditation. So if you've got a chanting practice that you do, you're welcome to do that and you can do that on your own. If you learn with me, I will teach you the chants that I do which next Wednesday is our day to learn chanting and revisit that since we did that a few weeks ago. So if you've been learning these chants with me, you're welcome to chant along with me. And then after we chant, then we're gonna go into breathing mindfulness meditation. I'll give you some guidance there. And then there'll be a period of time where you'll be on your own. And then after we have that period of time where you're on your own, then I'm gonna come in with loving kindness meditation. And as I say each one of these phrases, which aren't going to be the three that I've mentioned, I'll actually have something else. 
we're going to do loving kindness meditation for however many rings that end up getting created to cultivate this active goodwill towards other beings, then I'll finish up with another chant. And if you have questions at the end, based on how your meditation went or any questions that came to mind, we can cover questions at the end of our meditation session. So with that, does anybody have any questions about what we're going to do in our meditation? I think we're good here, David. Okay, marvelous. Let's go ahead and get into our meditation position. If that's seated or lying or standing, your lower body should be comfortable. If you feel any pain during meditation, you should change your body position. Don't just grin and bear it. That pain is there for a reason to tell you something's wrong with the body. So if you feel any pain at any point, just move your hip or move your knee, get comfortable because we don't want there to be pain in the mind because that would inhibit our training. So get the lower body comfortable. The upper body should be erect using your muscles to erect the spine, kind of engage the muscles. That's gonna keep the mind active and engaged. It's gonna keep it alert and attentive because that's what we want to be able to actively train the mind during meditation. Your hands and arms, you can put those either in your lap or on your knees or on the armrest of your chair. The Buddha placed his right hand on top of his left and he put his thumbs together. So if you'd like to do that, you can do that. And then just close your eyes and start developing a nice natural breath. Your breath should be nice and natural not forced, not controlled, just nice inhales through the nose and exhales through the nose. The Buddha said, if your breath is short, know that it's short. If it's long, know that it's long. Essentially, you want to fixate the mind on the breath. That's the present moment. So you're welcome to join in the chanting or you're welcome to just stay there with the breath and focus the mind on the breath. And then I'll be back with some guidance to take us into breathing mindfulness meditation and then loving kindness meditation. Arahang Samma Sammoto Mahakava Hotang Mahakavanang Apivate Ami Savakato Mahakavata Tammo Damang Namasami Supatipano Mahakavato Savakasanko Sankhang Namami Napmodhasabhakavato 
Arahato Sama Samputasa Napmodhasa Pakavato Arahato Sama Samputasa Napmodhasa Pakavato Arahato Sama Samputasa Iti piso mahakawa arahang samasamhoto vichacharanang samhuno sakato rokavitu Anu tero purisa tamasati satatawa manusanang puto pakawati. Okay, now you should be breathing in through your nose and out through your nose. Nice, steady inhale and exhale. Bring your mind to the breath. Fixate the mind on the sound of the breath entering the nose or the sensation of the air moving over the skin into the nose. This is the focus of the meditation. You're fixating the mind on the breath. That breath is the present moment. So we're training the mind to come into the present moment that singleness of mind, right concentration, focused on the breath. As you're focusing on the breath, if the mind wanders to the past or to the future, or there's thoughts, ideas, perceptions that come into the mind, as soon as you notice it, cut it off and bring the mind back to the breath. Let those thoughts go. Train the mind to keep coming back to the breath. This is going to show you that you can control the mind. So now I'm just gonna have you sit with the breath, focused on the breath, 
the present moment and then I'll be back with loving kindness. So there's nowhere to go, there's nothing to do, no one needs you right now, just focus on the breath, cutting your thoughts, letting them go.
continuing to stay focused on the breath, repeat this affirmation in the mind on the out-breath. May I be peaceful. May I be safe. free of discontentedness and the suffering it causes. peaceful. May we be safe. May we be free of discontentedness and the suffering it causes.
May all those who are close to me be peaceful. be safe. be free of discontentedness and the suffering that it causes. May all those whom I've never met, may they all be peaceful. safe. free of discontentedness and the suffering it causes.
May all those who I have harmed in my life, may they all be peaceful. Be safe. May they be well. be free of discontentedness and the suffering it causes. those who have harmed me be peaceful. safe. free of discontentedness and the suffering it causes.
May all beings, no matter where they reside, be peaceful. be safe. be well. May they be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes.
सुपाथिपानो महाकवत साघो नपमोसागवत आरहत सम्मासागवत आरहत सम्मासा नपमोसागवत आरहत सम्मासूतसाशो महकवासूत चारण सामुन सखा रोगा अनुतेरो सती सता मनुसना तो okay, if you guys would like to slowly start coming out of meditation. So uh, I would like to open things up for questions, but before I do, I just want to mention, notice that during meditation that I didn't have a timer or an alarm. I feel like this is really important for you as you develop your meditation practice, whether it's breathing mindfulness meditation or loving kindness meditation, don't worry about how long you're meditating for. If you set an alarm, the mind's just going to have this longing and strong eagerness. Is it time yet? Is it time yet? Is it time yet? So that's actually going to encourage the mind to do exactly the opposite of what it is that we're trying to train it not to do. Or you're going to be getting a lot of benefit in your meditation and then your alarm is going to go off where you could have actually kept going and actually gotten more meditation, more benefit. So don't set an alarm. Don't set a time. Just Start your meditation, meditate, either breathing mindfulness or breathing mindfulness meditation and loving kindness meditation. And when you're done, you're just done. Don't need to keep track of how long you're meditating for, but just continue to work to expand it. If you're only meditating for just a few minutes, try to keep expanding it more and more. Okay, so let me open questions up to see what 
questions you guys have either about the full path meditation or anything we've been discussing at all during the program or anything that you're coming across in terms of implementing these teachings into your life okay we have a long comment from shital and she, she's just checking her understanding i think here so i'm going to read it out and perhaps you can just see if she's on the right lines david so she says i very well understand the importance of forgiveness myself Anger, hatred, or any other feelings that we may have towards someone only causes more harm to us than anybody, anybody else. But I would disagree here on the point that once we start practicing loving kindness, we should go wave to people who have caused us harm before or even try to initiate conversation with them. I don't think that is necessary at all. I think we need to learn from our experiences also Trying to maintain relations with people who can potentially harm us is absolutely not necessary. I can always forgive them and would not need to keep any negative, heavy feelings towards them, but it is important to act wisely with those who have proved their nature to us already earlier. And we go around to them thinking, there is no way they're going to do the same again to us. It's only setting ourselves up for another harm. I'm not saying we should be judgmental towards them, and not give them the opportunity to improve, if at all they choose to, but it is always wise to be cautious of them until they improve themselves by showing a changed behavior. Please correct me if I'm not talking reasonably. Okay, let's talk about this. So the example that I gave about waving to a neighbor, this was just an example, Chatel. There's personal choices in every situation. If you've been in a relationship where people have hurt you, you've most likely hurt them as well. So a neighbor waving to them or not waving to them, totally up to you. If someone's sexually abused you, not that I know that that's necessarily happened, but let's just use that as an example. It's kind of like an extreme. No reason to go around and wave and talk to that person but releasing the resentment and anger that is harbored in the mind because of that is helpful. So my example of talking about the neighbor wasn't to say that you should go around and wave and smile to every person that has ever harmed you. But what you should keep in mind is anybody who's harmed you, there's a pretty good chance that you've probably harmed them as well. And if you do what you say towards the end of your comment, where you're gonna wait until they improve their behavior before you re-engage with them, then you're still judging them. You're still looking and you're still having some expectation of what they should change rather than focusing on yourself. So don't get hung up on whether you should wave to somebody or whether you shouldn't or whether you should smile to somebody or whether you shouldn't. Just cultivate this active goodwill towards all beings. If you feel like waving to somebody, wave to them. If you feel like smiling, smile. If, if you don't, you don't. But you've got to get rid of this interest to evaluate whether somebody deserves your smile or whether someone deserves a wave, right? Because you holding that back isn't going to help you. It means you still have resentment and you still have judgment. And you still have some kind of frustration and irritation there. Just let all that go. 
and choose to smile and wave to whomever you choose to smile and wave to. That's a personal choice that you'll come to at that situation based on whatever variables are going on at the time. Okay, we have a question from Javier. Can you elaborate a little on finding attachments when noticing recurring thoughts? Let me speak from my own experience. So when I first started meditating, I had a lot of thoughts from my childhood coming up, particularly abuse that I had, physical abuse and verbal abuse, and particularly with my mom, because I always had kind of a, a rough relationship with my mom, but I always craved and desired for something better with her. So during meditation, before knowing about attachment, before knowing about craving and knowing how the mind works, before even knowing that loving kindness was cultivating active goodwill and eliminating hatred and all of this, for many, many months when I first started meditating, the thoughts of my childhood kept coming up and the thoughts of my mom kept coming up. And I didn't understand why, because at that point in my life, I hadn't really talked to my mom for about three to five years. But these thoughts just kept coming up repeatedly over and over and over again. So what that showed me eventually when I started investigating it and started to understand it is that I had unresolved issues from my childhood, both what I experienced from other people, but also things that I did because I was kind of a bully when I was in like fifth grade, sixth grade. I was kind of a bully because of this hostility and aggression and abuse that I was getting at home it started coming out in my behavior at school in fifth and sixth grade. So these feelings of guilt and shame from things that I did and things that people had done to me kept coming up. So that showed me that the mind was still holding on to these things and I had unresolved conflicts. So if you're meditating and you have constant thoughts that are coming in repetitive thoughts and it's the same thoughts each individual session you should look at that because the mind's holding on to that just knowing that you have these thoughts coming up is very good there isn't necessarily nothing that you can immediately do to instantly eliminate these thoughts because the mind holds on and holds on and holds on and it holds on really really tight it doesn't want to let go and you kind of have to keep meditating and keep meditating, keep learning these teachings, keep practicing generosity. And then the mind kind of slowly softens and it slowly starts letting go of these things. So if you're seeing these thoughts come up a lot from your past or anticipation of the future, it means the mind's still holding on. And that's the reason why you definitely need to keep meditating if you stick with this and keep meditating, you're going to be meditating the rest of your life. You're never going to stop. But those thoughts, they're going to be there for a while. They're going to be there for a good long while until you really spend a lot of time dedicated to meditating and really soften up the mind and slowly let these things go more and more. Okay, we have a question from Deborah. What should I do when I start to lose concentration? I come back to the breath, but this can happen several times. Yes, so this is going to happen until you get to enlightenment, right? You're going to constantly have thoughts during meditation and you're going to notice five minutes in, oh my goodness, my mind's wandering. Right there, just cut it off and bring it back to the breath. 
Two or three minutes later, your mind's wandering again. Oh my goodness, cut it off and bring the mind back to the breath. Just every time you notice that, you're just constantly doing that over and over and over and over and over again, a gazillion times over the course of multiple meditations. And that's essentially what you're training the mind to do is just constantly let go. It's not going to be perfectly still until you start getting closer into the jhanas and into the four stages of enlightenment. And even still, as you're making your way through the first, second, third stage of enlightenment, your mind's still going to wander even then, just not as much. You're going to have longer periods of stillness. So what you're experiencing is normal. And what it's doing is it's helping you to train your mind constantly over and over and over and over again so that you now gain control over the mind. But it's just keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it. Because then in daily life, when certain thoughts come up or someone speaks harshly to you, someone cuts you off in traffic, there's some opinion somebody shares that you utterly disagree with and you feel frustration arise, you're going to be able to cut it off. So you're going to have these constant thoughts for a good long while. They're not going to just quickly disappear. But each time you're doing that, it's just training the mind more and more so that you can control it. You haven't done anything wrong. There's nothing guilt. There's no shame. There's no, nothing, nothing like that. It's just wherever you notice it, ah, cut it off. And even sometimes smile when you catch yourself. Don't feel guilty. Don't feel shameful like you've done anything wrong. Even if it's five minutes and you're kind of in the future thinking about this holiday or vacation you're going on, if you need to smile, ah, silly mind, cut that off, bring it back. And just doing that over and over and over and over and over and over again. That's how you train the mind so that you can control it. I was wondering, David, if you can offer any tips on how to actively practice loving kindness in daily life. And I'm thinking something proactive that we can do as we go about life, similar to how we might, say, practice generosity to eliminate craving mm -hmm. and then breathing mindfulness meditation since we did loving kindness meditation today, is there something proactive we can do for loving kindness? Yes, there is. But let me go back to Deborah for a second, because I thought of something I wanted to add to what I shared with her. In meditation, we're not training to eliminate the thoughts, right? We're not training to eliminate the thoughts. You're going to have thoughts. What you're training for is you're training to let go of them so that your thoughts don't control you. So you're going to have thoughts and you're gonna have lots of thoughts. And over time, they will become less and less and less and less, but we're not training the mind to eliminate thoughts. As long as you're alive and as long as you have consciousness, you're always gonna have thoughts. But what you're training for is to train the mind to easily let go of these thoughts so that these thoughts don't control you. Because where you were before this training is as soon as a thought would come to mind, now it's going to control you for several hours or several days. You're going to keep thinking about this thought over and over and over again, and it's controlling your, your mind. It's creating discontentedness. It's controlling your intentions, your speech, and your actions. You're being grumpy and moody to other people because of these thoughts, right? 
So now what you're doing in meditation is you're not allowing these thoughts to control you. As soon as this thought comes up, you're cutting it off and letting it go. So you're not trying to eliminate the thoughts in meditation. You're trying to train the mind to the point where now you're in control. No matter what thought comes to mind, you can control it by letting it go. Okay, that's what we're doing in meditation. Now, proactive loving kindness. So we can kind of take this to what Chattel was talking about. So in the example of like me and my neighbor have some kind of disagreement, right? And we've had an exchange of harsh words. Maybe they've been angry. Maybe I've been angry. We've both harmed each other. Well, if I'm going to cultivate this loving kindness and the mind is holding on to this anger and frustration, you know, rather than carry that around and be moody and let him know or her know how angry I am and I'm still disappointed and yeah, they've got to know that they wronged me and they harmed me rather than sitting back and judging them and letting them feel this hostility, which isn't going to solve anything. Yeah, smile at them. What's wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with smiling at a neighbor that you had hostile words with a couple of days ago. Smile, wave, apologize. Even if you were wrong only 5%, even if you were only wrong 5% and they were wrong 95%, why not apologize? Let it go. Be the bigger person. And even if they get angry when you apologize, don't allow their discontentedness to create discontentedness for you. So why not wave? Why not smile? Why not do nice things? Why not you know, figure out things that you can do to help the people around you by practicing generosity? I used to be very, very shy growing up. Very, very shy. And I had to train myself in business not to be shy. But even after training myself in that situation, I wasn't shy with my customers, but in my private life, I was very shy because one of the things that happened in America is I used to come here to Thailand for two weeks, a month, however long, and then go back to America. And here in Thailand, I could be friendly, I could be open, I could be loving with everybody, and it was great. I would get in the elevator and I would smile at people and they would smile back and we would have a little chat and then we would go on with our day to a complete stranger. Well, when I would go back to America and I would get in an elevator and I would smile at somebody, oftentimes they thought, you know, what's this guy want from me? This guy, this guy's a creep, right? Especially if it's like a single woman. So oftentimes there would be judgment there and I would feel, it might have just been my feelings. It might not even been them. It might have just been me producing those feelings in my mind. But I always felt inhibited that I couldn't be this outgoing, bright person in America for some reason. I just felt like the more I was like that, the more people were judging me. But perhaps I was just judging myself. Who knows? So rather than be shy, one of the things that I did is even though I was here in Thailand for a period of time, I used to be somewhat shy and I would walk down the street and I would wave at strangers and I would smile to people and I would see tourists on the street and I would say, hi, how are you doing today? And I would say 
90, 95% of the people were either too involved with their phones, looking at GPSs or a map, or they were involved in, you know, some coffee drink or smoking, or if I said hi and waved to them, they would just look away from me. But oftentimes, the more that I did that, and I would have this same little walk that I would do a lot of days, more and more people got used to me walking down there and people would wave to me back and people would smile to me back. And I wasn't expecting any particular response from people. So it trained my mind not to have expectations that just because I smile, everyone else should smile or just because I wave, everyone else should wave because that's the challenge that I got into in America when I would get into an elevator and I would smile at somebody and they wouldn't smile back. And then I would get into another elevator and I would smile and they wouldn't smile back. And then eventually I would just stop smiling and I would be like, okay, well, nobody's smiling to me. So why should I smile to anyone else? But that was because I had expectations of what the end result should be. Whereas if you eliminate the expectations and say, you know what, I'm going to be a friendly, kind, caring, loving person, no matter what's happening around me, I'm not going to judge of whether this person deserves my kindness or not. I'm not going to judge whether this person deserves my respect or not. I'm just going to be loving, kind, caring, generous, and respectful to everyone that I come across. And I have no expectation of whether they are that way with me or not, but I'm going to be that way with others. This is the way to be proactive with your loving kindness is having this active goodwill for other beings and don't allow other people's behaviors or responses to change who you are. Because that's what I allowed happen to me is that when people didn't reciprocate, then I stopped doing those good, wholesome things that I realize now later that are actually the best way to be. So now if I go around and I wave to somebody or I smile to someone or say, how are you doing? And they don't reply to me. Okay, no big deal. Just keep on going. And they may be busy. They may be thinking about something else. Here in Thailand, sometimes the tourists don't even speak English. So if I say, hello, how are you doing? They may not even understand what I'm saying. So if you put yourself in a frame of mind that having no expectations of what should be returned to you, but you're going to practice this loving kindness, this active goodwill for others, just because of the pure wholesome intention that it's the right thing to do without expectation. That's the pure practice of loving kindness. Before I was practicing loving kindness because I was wanting others to practice loving kindness too. And then when they didn't reciprocate, then I stopped. But you've got to come from a place of I'm going to practice these good wholesome teachings, whether other people practice them or not and recognize that everybody's in their own world, everybody's got their own thoughts, other people might not even speak your language, other people might not even realize what you're doing, other people might be busy, but just practice loving kindness all the time, irregardless of what other people are doing. Even if someone's hostile and angry to you, you can stand there and smile. And this is good to train your mind this way. And like we would when we meditate, David, where we just, say the affirmation in our mind silently can we do that as we walk around you know can we do that in daily life just maybe well even if we don't actually overtly go out there and 
say it verbally because you know, there's other benefits associated with that. But maybe if we just do it silently as we're walking around, is that still good for the mind? Absolutely. So like when I'm walking down the street, if I say hello to somebody and they don't say hello back, or if I wave or smile to somebody, or if I why to somebody and they don't why back, you can just say in your mind, may you be well. And, and that's really helpful for you that you're then unattached. It's another way to also practice non-attachment, that your only interest in this exchange is may you be well. That's all I'm interested in. And I know, Max, you've gone on walks and with humans and even animals. You know, you see a squirrel. Oh, may you be well. So even though you're not feeling it 100% in the mind, because the unenlightened mind just doesn't want to let go of that hate, doesn't want to let go of that hostility, doesn't want to let go of that judgment and that aggression. It just wants to hold on to it, kind of like what Chattel was talking about. It just wants to judge everyone. It just wants everyone to earn my respect. And there's like this whole log jam where everybody's waiting for each other to respect each other. And I'm not going to respect you until you respect me. Well, I'm not going to respect you until you respect me. So we're in a log jam here. So by all of us stepping up, you know, raising above this and choosing to have loving kindness for all beings, whether that's reciprocated or not, coming from that good, wholesome intention and walking around and just thinking that in the mind is very, very helpful. Even if you just have a conversation with a family or a friend and you're on a phone or you're on a chat message and just ending the conversation and in your mind thinking, may you be well. That's a very, very good thing to do. Nice, yeah, I, I found it helpful. I thought I'd just bring it up and see if you had any thoughts on that, so thank you. This we is a way a, to release those resentment, you know, because the unenlightened mind is going to want to hold on to that stuff so well. And this is a way to just let it go. May you be well. Yeah, nice. Okay, so we have a comment from Chital. She says, I think I'm having more thoughts than I ever had after having pra practiced mindfulness so many times now. Yeah, because now you're more aware of them. Before, you probably had the thoughts, but you weren't aware of them. Now that you're developing awareness of mind, you're aware of those thoughts, and that's good. So you're not going to practice meditation once or for a week or even a month, and everything's gone and everything's fixed. It's going to take a dedicated life practice. That's why I call this book Developing a Life Practice. And Gautama Buddha used words like, you know, this is a better way of life. You know, it's a, it's a way of life. So you're going to become more and more aware of the thoughts. And this was when I first started meditating, you know, it's kind of hard seeing a lot of that dark stuff, you know, from your past and all that dark history and all those problems and misery from the past. But if you don't meditate and you just bury all that stuff in the mind, it's always going to be there because you just swept it under the carpet. One of the things that's going on in meditation is you're taking the carpet off the floor and you're letting all that darkness come up. And it can be, you know, pretty miserable. And this is where some people can turn away from meditation and run from it because of all these dark feelings that are coming up. But if you just put the carpet back down and cover that dust over, you're never going to get rid of it. 
that dust under the carpet is just going to keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So rip that carpet back. Let all those thoughts fly around. Yeah, the mind's busy. Yeah, the mind's busy. Yeah, it's dark. Yeah, it's ugly. Yeah, you don't like it. Yeah, it feels uncomfortable. But this is the path to eliminate them once and for all and get to that permanent mental state where the mind's peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. If you do nothing and you leave these dark thoughts in there, then you're just covering up the problems and you're never dealing with it. So roll up the sleeves, put on a bib, get in there and get rid of these things once and for all. And then you get to the other side of all of this over multiple months and years. And now you've got a permanently stable mind, permanently peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy that's unshakable. We have a question from Manal. Would it be wise in my practice right now to either limit or not interact with those individuals who constantly bring me down emotionally and verbally? Or would this be an avoidance which I'm creating and actually prohibiting my own growth unknowingly? This person is my own mother. She lives nearby. Sure. You can choose not to engage with people. The difference is, is if you choose to not engage with people and then you harbor hatred and anger and and ill will and frustration, irritation, resentment, and you're pushing those people away, that's not helpful for your practice because now you don't have loving kindness for all beings. That's aversion. When you're pushing people away and you've got anger and hostility that you're harboring because of it. But choosing through discernment, through wise decision-making, that this person is negative and bringing me down, I wish them well. I have nothing but love and kindness and compassion for them, but I know that being around them is not good for my mind. This is good discernment, and this is protecting your contentedness, something we talked about last week. This is protecting your doorways to discontentedness. So as long as you're choosing to not engage with people, but you're still maintaining the loving kindness and compassion for them, that's fine. That's healthy. And one of the tests that you can give yourself is, okay, I'm choosing not to engage with this person, but if they showed up on my doorstep and they ran out of gas down the street, what would I do? If the answer is you'd slam the door in their face, that's aversion. If the answer is, well, of course, I would go help them because I would like to help this person, then that means you still have loving kindness and compassion for them. So if you're choosing not to involve people in your life, then just make sure you maintain the loving kindness and compassion. And that's going to ensure that you're not harboring this anger, this hatred, this ill will that's detrimental to your practice. Thank you, David. We have no more questions. Okay. So thank you guys for joining today. And on Sunday, we're going to be going into chapter six, which is a lighter chapter. We just went through chapter three, four, and five, which are pretty involved. You know, chapter three is, you know, what is enlightenment and Nibbana? Chapter four is the Four Noble Truths. Chapter five is the Eightfold Path. Chapter six is the middle way where it's a fairly light chapter. So it gives you time to not only learn that chapter, but also really make sure that you've really soaked in chapter three, four, and five, and that you're continuing to develop this meditation practice each day. 
breathing mindfulness meditation and loving kindness meditation. So it kind of gives you a little bit of a breather because then chapter seven, chapter eight, chapter nine becomes very deep again. So we're going to get into kind of like three or four really deep chapters again. So use this week, of course, to really dive into chapter five. And then next week is chapter six. And if you need a little bit of a breather and just focus on your meditation, then keep doing that. But if you decide you really want to make sure you fully have got chapter three, four and five rooted in the mind, then take your time to do that. I know Joy was joining us on Sunday and it's really important because one of the things that Joy brought up is about being able to see that you are causing all your discontentedness. This is chapter four, the Four Noble Truths. You really have to see how you're causing all the discontent feelings in the mind right view. You need to establish that. And if you don't have that, ask questions in the Facebook group. Reach out to me privately through private message or schedule an individual appointment to be sure that you see how this craving, desire, attachment, this mental longing with a strong eagerness is causing all the discontent feelings. And that when you eliminate that mental longing with a strong eagerness, the mind is then peaceful. If you're not seeing that yet, be sure you really establish that right view this week and next week through all the different options that I gave you. Then next Wednesday, we're going to be studying chanting again. So by that point, it will have been three weeks since we've studied chanting and we're going to do something different where I'm actually going to have you guys actually doing chanting. So those of you guys that are in Facebook or YouTube or on the podcast, if you want to join into the Zoom, you can log into Zoom and actually get some one-on-one help with your chanting next Wednesday. And we'll actually be chanting and having you guys actually do the chanting so I can help you kind of real time to improve your chanting. So continue to meditate, continue to cultivate this active goodwill towards all beings without judgment in meditation, but then also practice it in daily life with all the people around you. Not because you're expecting your wife or your husband or your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your children or your coworkers to reciprocate and give you something back, but just be loving, kind, friendly, respectful, polite, without any interest to get anything back, without any judgment of what they should or shouldn't do. Just be friendly, polite, caring, and loving and respectful to all beings. If someone's having a bad day, that doesn't mean that we need to be rough and hostile with them to have them have an even worse day. Smile, be friendly, be kind, right? It doesn't mean they're going to instantly change, but just be loving and kind with all the people that you're around for now, for the rest of your life, but just get in the habit of doing that on a regular basis, okay? So thank you guys for joining. Thank you for continuing to learn and practice these teachings. It's the very best thing you could ever do for yourself, those close to you, and all of humanity. Because the more that all of us bring these teachings into our life and practice them, the more that we can bring in the teachings of the Buddha and restore them back to the world so that more and more people can practice this path to enlightenment and the better and better the world will become 
through us focusing on our own mind. By us developing our life practice, we improve the condition of our mind, but then more and more people will be able to come in and learn and improve their mind as well. So thank you so much. We'll see you on Sunday at nine o'clock Thai time. Have a good one. Sawadee khap. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.